Well, a couple of years ago uh, at our Pastors and Wives Retreat, I believe it was, we first met Caleb. And Caleb came and shared what the Lord was putting on his heart in terms of ministry. And um, when he shared, some of the things that he shared, for me personally, I guess, you know, living in a little southwest Minnesota, I was, I was not aware nearly of all of the things that he's probably going to tell us about. The ministry is called Free, and I'm going to let him elaborate on all these things, but Free, you know, where, where they find, they embrace, let's see, Free, R, Rescue, let's see, Restore, God, I worked on this all morning. Restore, and now embrace, and then empower. That's about all I did in school. Three out of four was about as good as it got. And uh, he is now in the ministry. We as a church, you as a church, we have been supporting them on a monthly basis for about seven months now. And uh, they're very good about getting updates. And, you know, you can go on Caleb's uh, Facebook page or Free's Facebook page and find out so much. Uh, one of the most more exciting things in his life in the last few months is he is now married to his wife for two, two and a half months? Two and a half months. So his life is changing in many ways. So with that, I'm going to let uh, Caleb come and take your liberty, Caleb, and bless us. All right. I think we're good. So thank you, Pastor Mike, for letting me come and share with you guys this morning. Uh, so great to be with you all, and it's it's a great morning. So, um, as Pastor Mike said, we met. I feel like probably three or four years ago by now at one of the first uh, pastors retreats because I was a pastor at a church in Frazee, a youth pastor up there, so way up north from here. But uh, and so we met there and got to know each other over the last couple of years. And then in January, I got to announce um, officially that I was um, moving on from that church and starting with this ministry called Free International. And as I began to share at the pastor's retreat just about what I was doing, uh, Pastor Mike and his wife really came beside me. Just, we talked about it for a while and just got to know each other even more. And then, um, and I believe it was March or April, we did a Zoom meeting with uh, him and the elders of the church. And you guys were one of the first churches to start supporting me monthly. So I want to say thank you for that. And I just want to say it's kind of amazing. March or April, as we all know, the world is changing, right? Everything, we were spiraling. We didn't know what was going to happen. The church buildings were closed. But to have a church and a pastor and a team that say, we still want to support missionaries. We still want to pick up new missionaries. Even though we don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of months, we have faith through God that God's going to provide. So I want to say thank you so much to uh, Pastor Mike and the rest of the leadership team here. But uh, this morning, we're going to talk about a topic that a lot of us don't like to think about too much. We like to have a comfortable life. We like to enjoy our life. So we like to not think about certain topics so that we can sleep at night. We like to be able to live our life at a spot where we can just go through life doing the American dream of uh, earning money and saving up money and doing everything we want to do, go on vacations and live a good life and raise our families like we should, as long as we don't have to think about these couple topics. Because when, when you start to think about them, when you start to take them to heart, when you start to even pray about them, they kind of start to change the way you view life. They start to change the way that you view what, what goes on in your own communities. And this morning as we were worshiping, it was, it was an awesome time of worship. As we got to go before God and just worship Him for all that He is and all that He's done in our lives. And one of the choruses in there, and I won't sing it for you, I'll save you guys from that. Uh, but, but in the song Waymaker where it says, Light in the Darkness. That, that simple three-letter phrase 
impacted me this morning. Why? Because this morning we're going to go into some darkness. We're going to go from where we're at this morning. And I want to stay in a spot of worship with you this morning throughout the service. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you throughout the sermon. Because for many of us, we're going to go into a dark place that we didn't know existed before you walked in this morning. And, and as we do that, I want you to remember that even as we go into darkness, we still have a light in the darkness. That we can still bring God with us into that situation. And that, that's what we have to do in our ministry because we go into some very dark places. We go into some places that many of you don't even know exist, as I said. And this morning, we're going to talk all about sex trafficking. And for those that have kids in the room, don't worry. We'll keep it all at base level, so don't run out the door. But, but as I say that phrase this morning, if I asked any one of you, I could pull five of you out of your seats, and you wouldn't want me to, but I could ask you, what does that phrase mean? And every one of you would give me a different definition. Why? Because based on what we've experienced in life, based on where we've educated ourselves or not educated ourselves, will define what we believe about this issue. Many of us have a four-year degree from Facebook.com about what trafficking is. Am I right? Like some people get all their information and we see all these random conspiracy theories about what trafficking is and our organization will tell you in a heartbeat that's not what's happening. And you remember the Wayfair conspiracy from six months ago. Right? All this different stuff that just goes all over Facebook, but really isn't what's happening. Some of us have gotten our maybe three-year education from the Taken movies, because I think there's three of them. Anyone want to admit they've seen all three? I have seen some of them, right? So some of us view trafficking as that. That, well, that must be what happened in abduction and, and all this different stuff. But I want to tell you, neither of those things is what trafficking actually looks like. Some of us think of white vans and semi-trailers going down a highway and I want to tell you that's not what trafficking is. See, this morning I want you to think of your own life. Some of you have been awake for way too many hours because your kids woke you up at 5 in the morning. I can't relate, so we're good on that. But I want you to think of since you woke up this morning or even before that, how many decisions you've already made in your life. Like, Like for many of you, you've made so many decisions that you don't even remember because they're just on autopilot. You just make them every day. It's no big deal. But some of you decided what time to wake up. And again, like I said, some of you, your kids decide that for you. And it's just the way it goes. Or dogs or whatever you got in your life. Some of you set an alarm last night. Some of you forgot to and you're joining us on live stream. And I'm still glad that you're with us. So you guys also probably decided this morning or maybe your wife did. It's great about being married. But what to wear this morning, right? And some of you are about to wear something. And your wife said no. And thank goodness for that, right? And we get to make these decisions of, will I wear these jeans or those jeans? I've worn these for two days. I probably shouldn't wear them again, right? One of those situations. We decided whether to drink coffee this morning. What kind of coffee? We were talking with Pastor Mike before service. And I'm going to let you know, the worship team, apparently anyone under 30 does half cream and half coffee. And anyone over 30, apparently it's a joke in this church. But maybe for you, it was all coffee or like me, I went to Caribou this morning and got all sugar and a little bit of coffee, right? It's the way it goes. But but as you see this morning, all these decisions that you've already made. You probably decided what you'll eat for lunch. If you'll watch a football game today or the Vikings playing, I have no idea. They are. Okay. You have all these decisions in your life. But I want you to imagine with me this morning that you get to make zero decisions today. Down to the decisions of where you will sleep tonight. Even what town you will be in tomorrow isn't your decision. 
uh, what time you get to go to wherever you're sleeping tonight also isn't your decision because you have a quota to meet tonight. And if you don't have enough customers tonight, oftentimes 10 or 15 in a day, you can't go back to wherever you're sleeping tonight. You have to stay out until you get that many customers. And as, as we all know this morning, I'm using the term customers very loosely this morning. You don't get to decide when or if you will even eat today because they control that part of your life too. As many of you decided what you will wear today, you also don't get to decide that. They decide what you will wear the rest of the day today. You don't get Saturdays off. You don't get Christmas off. Every moment of your life, you are being sold on someone else's behalf, and you don't get to say yes or no to any potential customer. Anyone with money, you must say yes. You see, as we look at this issue, simply trafficking is boiled down to not being able to make your own decisions. Not having control of your own life. And as we look at this issue, many of us think of an issue on another side of the world because I can sleep a lot better tonight if I don't think it's here in the U.S. Like, I could ask anyone in this country, is trafficking happening in Thailand? And everyone would say, yes. But do you know how many people come to us regularly and say, we love what you do, but trafficking isn't really happening here. i got cases to show you. I got recovered kids to show you. But for us, we like to put our head in the sand because we can get through life a lot easier if we don't acknowledge an issue in front of us. And and as we look at this issue, I want to briefly tell you a little bit of my story. Because when you start talking about this issue, one of the first questions people have is, how did you get involved? Like, what in your life pivoted you to being so passionate about this issue, you know, from being in, in vocational ministry at a church to now doing this? So, like, what happened? Did a family member get trafficked? What, what happened in your life? And I want to tell you, nothing really happened in my life. That really set me on this path. And my story is this really simply. I grew up in a phenomenal Christian home. I had the best Christian parents in the world. And if you thought yours were better, they weren't. It's just the way it goes, okay? I had the best. Uh, the reason why I say that, and this is a free part of my sermon, uh, not included in the bundle package, but this free part of my sermon is this. I had a phenomenal Christian parents. I had a phenomenal upbringing because this. My parents lived their faith on Tuesday and on Thursday the same way they did on a Sunday morning. I would oftentimes, actually not often, wake up early because I didn't like doing that. But if I woke up early enough, I could catch my dad in the living room reading his Bible all on his own, not to show any of us kids anything, but it was his habit. Or maybe it was during lunch as as my mom would make lunch or whatever and she would be listening to worship music in the kitchen and worshiping as we worship here this morning. And I want to tell you this this morning. If you have kids, or maybe you're a little older than that and you have grandkids, or maybe there's neighbor kids that see your life regularly. What you're living on a Sunday morning has to be the same that you're living on a Wednesday or Tuesday night. Why? Because your kids see it. Your kids say, see, well, I know how you live your faith, you know, in front of everyone for an hour and a half on Sunday. But, but what about when you're yelling at each other at home? And I just want to challenge you this morning. Live your life all the way through because that's how you impact the next generation. That's how we change culture in this world. But back to my sermon. As I was raised in a great Christian home and I had a very good upbringing, I was involved in anything and everything I really ever wanted to be. And as I graduated high school, being involved in sports and activities, and I I came out of high school with this idea and this thought in my head that the world was a pretty good place. Like, I knew bad things happened. You could call me sheltered. That's okay. It's probably true. 
But but as I came out of this, this life that I had, the world was a pretty good place. You know, like, like I knew everyone, all the people in the community were great, all this different stuff. And again, bad things happened, but not like to what I know today. And, and I remember going to a program in Cold Spring, Minnesota, central Minnesota, a ministry school. And we watched a movie uh, one random morning about November. So it was about the same weather as this. And every Friday we do what's called Missions Emphasis. And every Friday we would experience something different about missions around the world. And, and this random morning, unbeknownst to us, was the immersion into trafficking in our day. And as we came in, I remember some very vivid things about this morning. One, we had to be to the church at 7 in the morning. I want to tell you, nothing spiritual happens before 8 a.m. I believe that. It's, it's, in, it's in the Bible somewhere. I'll find it, okay? But we had to be there at 7 a.m. And the second thing I remember... There was fresh donuts to make up for the fact that we had to be there at 7 in the morning, right? And as we go into this room and we sit down, we had to be there early because we had watched this two-hour documentary. All about the trafficking in our lifetime. We watched this documentary that very vividly had just came out recently at that point. Very vividly laid out what trafficking looks like in America and today. You see, I wanted to believe two things that many of us are trying to believe this morning, and that is this. One, it's an issue somewhere else, which I already talked about. Like, like it can't be an issue here. And number two is this, that it's something I wanted to believe in my heart, that it's something that we had defeated 50 years ago. It's something that we had put all our resources into to rescue these children, and it used to be an issue, but we took care of. But by the end of this movie, I was weeping. And I want to tell you, I'm not an emotional guy. You won't find me crying very often at all. But at the end of this movie, I was weeping at the fact of knowing that there was people all around us being sold to other humans. Like, I couldn't imagine a world where we have humans being sold to other humans. I remember when we learned in history class in eighth grade. Some of you, that was a long time ago. Some of you, that's like this year. But I remember learning, and it was on the test, and I think I got it right, of what year slavery was abolished in America. And the answer would be 1865, right? But I don't remember the follow-up class to that in eighth grade saying, but actually, slavery still exists. Because it wasn't talked about that many years ago. It wasn't an issue that we really looked into. And as I wept at the end of the movie, and as God worked on my heart for many years after that, of knowing that there's an issue that not many people are doing anything about, knowing that there's kids that are going missing that no one is looking for, and then in 2019, about a year and a half ago, was the first time I went on a mission trip with this organization as I, for the first time, looked into the eyes of a victim. And, and there's a moment when you know there's an issue and you're passionate about it. And then there's a ground-shaking moment where the first time you look into a victim's eyes. As we stood in a massage parlor, and I'll talk about that in a bit, but as we stood in a massage parlor and I looked into the eyes of this woman that was so happy to see me because she thought it was a customer, but in her eyes, you could see the deepest sorrow that you've ever seen as she is sold all day long. And that was my introduction to fighting this issue. And as we look at this issue this morning, I want to give you some statistics about this issue. And I want to tell you these statistics are just really good guesses because we don't know how bad it really is. We don't know what, what is going on in every house in this community. Every house around us, we don't know what's going on, but just some statistics for you this morning is that every 30 seconds, somebody is sold into trafficking for the very first time. I'm not talking about the 10th time somebody is sold today, 
And I'm talking about the very first time somebody is victimized. We've been in service for an hour and one minute. That's 122 victims. Since we've been sitting here, have been sold around the world today, as life goes on, as we watch a, a football game this afternoon, as, as our life just continues the grind of Monday through Friday, and as we just go on through life, in the meantime, there's children being sold. There's teenagers being sold. Many of us think of this issue, but we don't realize that the average age for girls is only 12 years old. The issue that I have with averages is you see a 12-year-old, but that means there's a lot younger in that number. For boys, the average age is only 11. We often don't realize that boys are involved in this too. Do any of you know any 12-year-olds? Do any of you know anybody in your life? Maybe it's your own kid. Maybe it's a grandkid. Maybe it's a neighbor kid down the street. But when you think about that, and as I, as, as I can't sleep at night thinking about, well, what if it was one of them? I remember before I officially went into this full-time, I was preaching to a room full of youth students at the church that I was a youth pastor at. And God spoke to me as it was a room full of 12, 13, 14-year-olds. And he said, what if it was one of them? Talk about a God-stopping moment where God just stops you in your tracks. And you're like, Because as I look in a room full of vulnerable students in a community that have a lot of vulnerabilities, it could be one of them. Any day that could go missing that we don't realize. And this morning, I want you to personalize it a little bit. Of somebody in your life, what if it was them? What if it was your grandkid, your, your own kid, whoever you got to pick? Yearly, on average, $150 billion is brought through this crime industry every year. And a lot of us think that's a big number, but we don't really like, we can't imagine how big it is. That's more than Nike, Amazon, and Google make combined. It's a lot of money on the backs of our children that are being sold And as I said earlier, it's a problem in the U.S. The U.S. is always in the top three worst countries. It's not just kind of a problem here. Like like it is the problem here. Often moving between one, two, and three every year, it just changes. And it's really just a guess. Minnesota is usually in the top ten worst states. And as we look at this issue today, thinking about up to 40 million people in the world that are currently enslaved to this issue. And, and as we think about this, I want you to think about something this morning. I can almost guarantee that within only a couple miles of where we're standing right now, there is somebody waking up soon that has been sold all night last night. Within a very few miles, I bet you less than 10, somebody is waking up this morning as we are at church, which is great, but forgetting about somebody not too far from here that needs some help. That maybe we see uh, every week at the grocery store, and maybe if you're a teacher, you see them in your classroom, and we don't even realize what's really happening. And as we think about this issue, anyone feeling a bit overwhelmed this morning? About this issue, like, like I know our team gets very overwhelmed when we go into a city and there's hundreds of missing kids that no one's actually looking for. And I want to share a quote with you this morning from one of our team members that says, one is a very big number. See, this is the quote that our team works off of as we go into town, cities. We're looking for the next one. And, and after we find the next one, we'll go and find the next one. But for us, we're always focusing on who's the one that we're going after. Who's the one kid that needs to be rescued today? And maybe we'll look for 30 at the same time, but we're focusing on one. And this morning, I want you to think of, of that's how tra- trafficking is fought. That's how we bring an end to it. And 
another story for you this morning to kind of drive the point home, if you will, is a starfish story. And I know many of you might know this story because I believe it's in pastor's school that you have to use this analogy. It's just this, right? So many of you have heard it before. But it's a story of a family that goes on a nice vacation on a beach somewhere warm, so not in Minnesota. It must be on the ocean somewhere, obviously. And as they are enjoying their lunch, they look around, and one of their boys, the middle boy, is missing, and they don't know where he went. As they're enjoying their cold ham sandwiches with chips on it, because that's the best when you're swimming, right? The cold sandwiches. As they look around, the sun is missing. They look about a couple hundred yards down the beach, and there is their son that they thought was with them. And as the dad walks down there and sees what he's doing, as he gets closer, he sees them picking things up and throwing them in the ocean. And he goes up to his son and he says, Son, we're on vacation. We're, we're having a good time. Just come enjoy your vacation like, like the rest of your siblings. Come eat, sam- come eat a sandwich, whatever. And as the dad gets closer, he realizes the son is picking up a starfish because the tide had went down and the starfish couldn't get back in the ocean in time. And so the son is picking up starfish after starfish and chucking them in the water. And the son, uh, the dad goes, son, there's thousands of starfish on this beach. And not only that, but there's millions of beaches around the world with starfish on them. There's nothing you can do about it. And as, as the son continues, says, dad, I know I can't save them all, but I just saved this one as he chucks it into the water. And he looks down at another one. He says, I know I can't save every starfish, but I can save this one as he chucks it into the water. And that's how we fight trafficking. That's how we find the next kid that's missing. That's how we recover the next victim in a hotel room. That's how it's done. I want to talk briefly this morning before I get into our message of where I'm going with you this morning. But what Free International does specifically, and more specifically what I do to fight this issue. As I said, it's big. It's a big issue all over the place. And as Pastor Mike said, FREE is an acronym, and it stands for Find, Restore, Embrace, and Empower. We are as much about the finding and the rescuing as we are about restoring, embracing, and empowering people all the way through. See, many organizations do a great job of finding and rescuing, but then they leave town next week, and what happens? We're all about the aftercare. And so how do we do that specifically? The four ways that I specifically help on the team Number one is I lead our massage parlor intel team. As we go around the country and we investigate massage parlors all over this country, particularly in Vegas. And on the picture behind me, there'll be a sign of the one in Vegas that we uh, are doing some work in still to this day. As we go in, you see the story of a life of a girl in a massage parlor is you will live at that place 24 hours a day. Especially in Las Vegas, they're open 24 hours a day doesn't matter what time of the day any man that chooses can come in and buy you to abuse you. And these girls don't get to choose when they will work and when they don't. They're literally working all the time. Often sold more than 15 times a day in this case. And these places are nothing more than an illegal front to a brothel. There's no real massages happening here. But what we do is we build the case for law enforcement because we're civilians. We can go in and gather intel and we don't need a search warrant to do it. So we go in and we gather intel for them and then they have the evidence to then shut these places down. And so I lead that for our team many times in Las Vegas when we're down there. We go into probably 80 of them in two days because they are everywhere in Las Vegas. But not only that, any town over 10,000, I can almost guarantee you, has at least one massage parlor. I did some research in Marshall where I stayed last night and I can almost bet at least one or two of them there. 
You see, it's happening all around us closer than we realize as women are being sold. What is it, 20 minutes from here? And we don't even realize it because we just go on our day and we drive past them and don't want to think about it as we go get our groceries. So I help lead that for our team as we gather intel. The next one I'm going to show you is a text that we received from a girl at an outreach in Las Vegas. And if you can read that text this morning, more particularly the blue ones are the response from her. And I want you to imagine being that woman or that victim on the other end of that cell phone. To have somebody random that you've never met reach out to you and say, we can offer you help, not knowing who they are, but being so desperate, you just simply say, I need help. With 10 exclamation points behind it. When I text you, you don't know the emotion that I send it with. If I'm happy, if I'm sad, if I'm angry. But can you imagine being so desperate of a spot that you need help so bad that anyone on the other end of the phone might be your answer and you're willing to reach out? That was the story of this girl, followed by a response of, can someone pick me up? Can anyone out there, and I want you to imagine 40 million people saying the same thing, can someone help me? Is anyone hearing my cries? Can anyone out there in the world help me? And I believe the church, as a big church, meaning the big C in general, is called to fight this issue. I don't believe we're meant to leave this issue for the government to fight, because I can tell you they're not doing a very good job. I don't believe we're called to think ever someone else is supposed to do this. I believe that we, as Christian believers, are supposed to be the ones answering that and saying, yes, we will help. We will help you out of this situation. The story of this girl was she was in Las Vegas, had been there for four months, 23 years old, had no idea really where she was. As she had lost her four-year-old son to her traffickers, that they took him for control. If you ever leave us, you'll never see your son again. If you ever go to the authorities, you will never see your son again, never seeing her son for four months. Talk about desperation of a mother that doesn't know what's going to happen next, but knows that what she has to do is get some help. As she was rescued that night, her son was rescued as well by our team. As we found her and her son, and then the other thing was her passport or her identifications were taken as well. As she was rescued, that's something that we do in cities all over this country. Why? Because they're being sold online. And and if, if bad guys can find these girls or if people can find these girls, we can too. And that's how we bring them help. The next picture is one of our mobile command units that is on the screen behind me. Uh, We have two of these and there's about eight more that are currently being made and on the way. These allow us to go into any major city or any city really, even small towns, and begin looking for missing kids immediately. You see, every major city has hundreds of missing kids often in them. I haven't checked Minneapolis-St. Paul area lately, but I guarantee you hundreds of missing kids And we go into these cities, usually about one city a month, and we look for these missing kids. And you can go to the next picture. And this is a pamphlet with 30 faces inside of it of kids that need to be found, of kids that have been missing. And if you go to the next slide, you'll see kind of it printed out on a big board. And I want to tell you, you you should be there someday. You should join us for a mission trip. But you should be there. When we get to cross off somebody's name and write the word located on one of those kids, You know how the angels celebrate in heaven when somebody comes to Jesus? We celebrate bigger, I believe it. Well, like as we've been looking for that kid for days, nights, and overnights, and not sleeping, and looking, and finding social media posts, and doing what we got to do as we find these kids. Oftentimes, finding 15 to 25 in one week that have been missing for anywhere from two days to two years. And people ask, how do you find them? 
How do you find these kids? The reality is no one's looking. No one's looking for these kids because usually 70% of these kids are foster care kids. So when that happens, no one knows they're missing other than whoever's kind of in charge of them and no one's often looking very well. So what we do is we, we don't care about the labels. We don't care if they're a runaway. We don't care if they're a foster kid. We just care that they're a kid that's missing. And we bring them home or bring them into safety. And I want you to look, and you might not be able to see it from all the way in the back, but on the top left, four uh, pictures down, is a young girl named Zayla Walker. Three years old when she goes missing. She's now five years old, and I want to tell you, anytime we go to Las Vegas, where our main base is and we're doing a search, she's our one that we're looking for. She's our one is a very big number. She's the one that keeps us going when it's three in the morning and you really want to go to sleep, but you know there's more leads to find. She's the one. As she still has not been found. As she is a young child, and, and you can see a picture after service if you want to see a little closer, of a young innocent child that we need to find. That we need to be able to go back and find. Her name is Zayla. The final picture up there after this one is our school assemblies. And as you can tell, this is before COVID. There's way too many kids in there and not enough masks. But that's a whole other conversation. As we go into schools and we talk about the issue of trafficking, many people think it's just for awareness, which part of it is. But the reality is every room that we do a school assembly in, there's at least one victim of trafficking. Every room, every school, every state, every town, doesn't matter. We can go into a school, speak to an entire high school or junior high, Talk about the issue of trafficking and almost guaranteed a kid will come forward. Say, I never knew that I was being trafficked, but today I realized I was. Why? Because when you're five years old, when the victimization starts, you don't know by the time you're 13 that it's not normal. You don't realize what's happening to you isn't a normal family dynamic. Why? Because the majority of the people that are trafficked in the U.S. are by someone that they know very well. A mom, a dad stepdad, a boyfriend, an uncle, a neighbor, somebody that they know. And so as we share this at the end of school assemblies, they're usually all on the gym floor signing this big piece of paper. And we have one or two students almost guaranteed that come forward and say, I'm being trafficked. I need your help. And those are the moments we often say, and it's actually, uh, as we look at our numbers, we've rescued 477 uh, kids and teenagers and women in our organization's lifetime. 477 starfish that we were able to pull out and say, this was our one today. But as we look at that number, there we have more rescues on gym floors and in school hallways than we do in hotels and it, busting into houses and whatever taken tells you what it looks like, right? But that's where we find the kids because they're living in our towns. They're going to school. If you're a teacher, you might be teaching them every day and you're wondering why their homework's not getting done, but they're being sold all night. You're wondering why they're falling asleep in class, but they're being sold all night. These are the things that we don't even think about often. And then the next picture, you'll see a map of Minnesota. This is from 2018 and I have not gotten a new one, uh, put out yet. But this, in the, in that year, the dark counties were ones that had at least one case of trafficking. It's happening here. It's happening in Minnesota. I don't believe that your county is highlighted. I don't know for sure. But it's happening all over. And this morning, I want, I want to talk a little bit with you this morning about what we're called to do about it. Because you might be sitting here and saying, that's great that you're doing that, Caleb, but I have lunch plans to get to, right? 
and I'm glad you're doing it and we'll just let you fight it and we'll, we'll, we'll be behind you. But, but I want to tell you a little bit more about what you're called to do about it. Because I believe, as I said, every Christian has a responsibility to fight this issue. I don't believe anyone gets to say that somebody else has caused to fight. I don't believe anybody can make that statement because I know it's an issue that God cares about. I know it's an issue that breaks God's heart as young children are being abused on behalf of somebody else. So this morning I want to look briefly with you about what it looks like to be a difference maker. Because I believe every one of us lives our life with a goal or a motivation of making a difference. At least some point in our life. I don't believe anyone will reach the end of our life and say, I wish I would have worked more hours. I wish I could have made more money, put a couple more zeros in my bank account. I wish I could have watched more Vikings games or whatever, played more golf matches. I don't believe any of us will get to the end of our life and wish that. But I know every one of us will get to the end of our life and say, did I make a difference? Did I impact anyone in my life? Did I help anyone through what they were struggling with? And that's what I want to look at this morning. If you guys want to turn with me to Matthew 25, otherwise it will be on the screen if you do not have it. But as you're turning there, I'm going to go somewhere completely different and then I'll meet you there, okay? So don't get confused. Keep going to Matthew 25. But I want to look at Matthew 28 this morning. It's a verse that you should have memorized and like know everything about. It's called the Great Commission. This is the whole point of the church existing, right? This is what God sent the church off with saying, I'm leaving the earth and this is what I want you to do. And, and this is what we live as a New Testament church or as, as we go into this next phase of our, of our relationship with God, of believing in God, like that moment, and then now what, right? So you accepted Christ last week, and if that's your case, awesome. But here's your now what, okay? Now what are we called to do? The Great Commission. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, I love to bring this passage to the forefront before we go into the next part because of this. I want you to look at the screen this morning and find any exclusions to why you don't have to do that. Like, Look at it long and hard if you have to. And see, okay, you sitting in maybe the third row or maybe you're in the back row and say, maybe this is why I don't have to do it. Let me know if you find any exclusions of why you don't, right? But like this is where I'm going this morning with you. It does not say if you are retired, then go and make disciples because people my age were way too busy. We have full-time jobs. Maybe you're raising kids. And well, if I was retired, then I could go and make disciples. But then as we get a little older, which I'm just guessing, and I'll let you decide if you're in that age group or not. I'm not going to do that for you this morning. But if you're a little older, you say, if I was younger, then I would go and make disciples because I have energy and I'm young and I could go and do things and travel the world. And See, there's always an excuse. If I had more money, then I could make disciples. If I was an extrovert and I could get up on stage like Caleb, and if you don't know I'm an extrovert, if, if I could do that and preach a message, then I could make disciples. But then you know what my excuse is back to that? If I was an introvert and I could lead a small group really well, and I had super deep friendships with people and all this different stuff, then I could make this. See, there's always an excuse. I want to tell you, as I look at the Great Commission, it doesn't give any. It doesn't say if you've read through the Bible three times and your name is Pastor Mike, then go and make disciples. It simply says, just go. Just go and do it. This morning, as you guys are in Matthew 25, we're going to 
start in verse 14, but I'm going to paraphrase it as we go, and I would encourage you to read it uh, this week as well. But it says in verse 14, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. goes on to say the man with two bags did the same thing. He put it to work and gained two bags more. And then there's the man with one bag that had been given one bag of gold and he goes and buries it in the ground. Doesn't put it to work, doesn't put it in the bank, just says I'm going to bury it in the ground. And then the master comes back years later. And in verse, um, let's go verse 19. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. That's a pretty good return, right? Doubling it, like that's great interest rates. He doubled it. Verse 21, it says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The same thing repeats with a man of two bags of gold. He brings it. Master says, Great job. Gives him a pat on the back. And then we go to the guy with one bag of gold. It says, Verse 24, The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. The bag's probably all falling apart. It's all dirty and rusty or whatever. I don't think gold can rust. But all this different stuff, and the bag probably isn't that great a shape, but here it is, Master. And you notice the different response from the other, the other two that did what they were supposed to. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I will give you even more. But the man who had taken his one bag and said, I'm afraid... I don't know what to do with it. I'm just going to bury it in the ground. It says in verse 26, His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So he takes the bag of gold from him. And in verse 30, it says, Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As I look at the different response of a master, that's saying, hey, great job, well done, good and faithful servant, to you wicked, lazy servant. I, I want to be on this side of the camp. I, I want to be in this spot where, where at the end of my life, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on, and you did great. I don't want God to look at me and say, what did you do? Like, I gave you this bag of gold, and this morning I want to change the idea of the bag of gold, because sometimes we get lost in, like, the gold idea. We get, like, starstruck or whatever, to, to a key, okay? So I want you to imagine God gave you a key, spiritually, to do things in the kingdom. And maybe for you, you're awesome, and you have, like, five keys. Anyone ever see, like, a janitor and think, like, they have all the power, because they have, like, 75 keys, and I don't know how they know what opens what door, but they do. So I want you to imagine God gave you different keys. Some of us, we have one key, and we're like, okay, God, that's great, one key. I can't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And, and, and as we look at this idea of making a difference, I want to define that for you. Difference makers give of their time, talents, and even resources on behalf of someone or something else. And looking at your key this morning, if I took my keys and tried to start the nicest truck in the parking lot, or the, or the not nice truck in the parking lot, it wouldn't start either one, right? 
As we look at this idea, if you took your house key and tried to unlock your neighbor's door, hopefully it wouldn't open or else we have a problem, right? But as we look spiritually, I want you to think of your key that God has given you. Some of you, you can see the talents and abilities God has given you like right off the bat. Like you can play a violin like super sweet. Whoever you were, awesome job up there. I wish I could play a violin, but you were awesome. Well, like maybe like I can't play a violin or I can't preach a message, so I don't have a talent. Or, or I don't like kids, so I can't help in kids' ministry, so I don't have a talent or ability, so I'm just going to sit in my seat and hope Pastor Mike never notices me and never asks me to do anything. But as we look at this idea of your key, I want you to think about the different things maybe God has given you. Maybe the different things that God has has given you the ability or the talent to do. But the other thing is, I think I think our keys change over time. I think as we go through life that our keys are not the same when we're 20 years old as they are when we're 40. Why? Because we've been through different experiences. We've gone through different journeys in our life of different really hard moments and really awesome moments in our life where we say, my key is different now. Because I I, I went through cancer and I defeated it. Because I lost my job and we didn't have any money, but I saw God come through. Whatever your because is, your key is probably different today. And I want to briefly talk about how keys change what you can do. My parents, um, again, are amazing people. They're probably watching. So that's why I had to say it three times that they're amazing. So, um, But anyways, they're amazing. But but before I was born and before my sister, they, they lost a set of twins. About 20-some weeks as they held their, their stillborn twins in their hands. And, and as, as they went through that, that terrible time that God did not cause, right, as they, as they buried two tiny caskets in, in a cemetery, as they went through that, they are now, you know, 20 some years past that, obviously. But as they grieved and as they went to God and said, God, why would you do this now at this stage in their life? They're able to walk people through that exact same thing that I could never walk them through. Because they say, we've lost children. We've even buried our children, and I know that you had a miscarriage, and we can walk through this with you. We know that you had a stillborn, but they can walk that through with people that I can't. Another thing is this, to talk about really awesome moments, and I want to challenge our older generation again, you get to decide, uh, with something this morning. I, I know of a mountaintop moment in my dad and mom's life, as well as a low moment, but a mountaintop moment is this, my dad had lost his job. They had no money. They couldn't pay the bills. They, they couldn't afford food. I think we were young kids. We must have been. And as they cried out to God and said, I don't know what we're called to do, what we're going to do. Somebody walked up to their door, I think, from their church and said, hey, here's a $5,000 check. I don't know who it was, but they're awesome. And said, I don't know why, but God told me to give this to you. And my, my dad looked at him and said, I'll, I'll pay you back. And the guy said, no, don't pay me back. Pay it to somebody else. Give it to somebody else that needs it a year down the road or two years down the road. And and that moment of mine says, I know that my God provides because I saw it in my parents' life. And as I'm talking to the older generation really briefly as I come close to closing, I want to challenge you in this. You guys have seen God show up. You've seen God heal you. You've seen God heal other people. You've seen God provide for you when you had no money. And I want to challenge you with this. My generation is asking where your stories are. Like, I know for you, you've told that story 300 times and it happened 20 years ago, but people in this church are saying, you say there's a God of miracles, but but I don't hear about it. And I'm not talking about for myself, I'm talking about my generation, right? I know that you say God provides, but but where's the story? And I want to challenge you, even if you felt like you've told the story too many times, 
There's people in your life that need to hear that story. They need their faith built up to say that God provided for me 50 years ago when I wasn't sure what was going to happen. God healed me when I had this medical issue and God saw me through. I want to challenge you. We need more stories in our churches of how God showed up. Because even though it didn't happen this week, it's still as faith building many years ago. So I want to challenge you how your key changes because you've been through that. The, the, the notches in the key, if you're following this morning, uh, change. They go deeper. They go higher. Hopefully you followed along with that. But I want to challenge you this morning that God is calling you to do something with your keys this week. He was calling you to do something with them last week, but we probably had them buried in the backyard, right? And the ground might be frozen, but we got to go dig them out. And I want to challenge you this. There's people in Ballotin, Minnesota that need you to come along beside them and say, I, I've struggled with alcoholism, let's say, and you've been through it and you saw God provide for you. There's somebody out there that needs you to walk beside them. I, I've, maybe you've struggled with drug abuse and you've finally been through it and say, hey, I've been through that, but I'm going to walk with you out of this pit of despair. And, and the, the other crazy thing is this. There's people in this community that Pastor Mike will never be able to reach. I know it's crazy. So we pay the pastor to do, right? Like reach all people and then I don't have to do it. But no, there's people in your life. Why? Because you sit beside them six feet away uh, for 40 hours a week. Am I right? And maybe the last three years you sat beside them and never said, hey, there's this awesome church I want you to come with me to. And I want to challenge you, don't be the guy that hides your keys in the backyard. But instead say, God, what am I to do with these? Well, what are the things? And the other thing I want to challenge you with this is this. Not only are you called to use the key in the community, but God has called you to this church specifically to use your talents here. Many people sit in our uh, church seats and they say, I'm not talented, so I'll just come on Sunday and then I'm good. Like, I don't have nothing to offer. But what if this week you came to Pastor Mike or the other pastors or staff or, or leadership on this team and said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but here's my, my keys. Here's what God has given me. How can you use that at this church? Why? Because every pastor, every leadership team has a dream of the, in their church that they want to start a ministry or they want to reach a certain these people or whatever, but they can't do it because they don't have the volunteers yet. They can't do it because they don't have the people to do it, but maybe you're the one that God has called to do it. I want to challenge you that. So not only in the community, in this church, the last one is this. In the fight of trafficking, every one of us has a key. Every one of us can take those set of keys. Maybe they're rusty and dirty from the backyard. Maybe they're super clean because they're always in your pocket and ready to be used. We all have a key to the fight of trafficking. And I want to share with you a story as I'm going to close shortly. You have to say it three times as a pastor before you actually close. Am I right? That was in pastor school too. Um, but, but as I close, I want to tell you a story of a school assembly that we had. Last would be a year and a couple months ago in September of 2019. Uh, we were in a school in Joplin, Missouri, as we shared, and actually was a suburb of Joplin. And as we shared about this issue of trafficking and, and the awareness of it, and we do it super fun and super great for the kids to keep them paying attention. As we get done, it's a pretty brand new school, so you could tell there it wasn't a super poor community, nothing like that. Brand new auditorium that we're in, and we get done, and one of the kids comes to the back of the auditorium and says, "Hey, can I talk to your team?" They always love those those talks, right? Because it's probably something. Good or bad, depends how you look at it. But as he comes to the back of the room and we go into the hallway, we're in a hallway with all glass windows looking out into the parking lot, and we'll get to that in a second. As he shares the story, he's like, I never knew this. He's a junior. His name is Steven. He says, I never knew this before today, but I've been being trafficked since age 10. 
He says, as you shared your stories today, as we have a survivor on our team that shares her story, he says, I never realized this, but at age 10, my mom sold me at a truck stop for the first time. He says, but if you go back farther, my mom's been addicted to drugs all her life. I'm actually born as a result of the drug dealer. You see, my mom needed drugs one night, and that was the only way that she could pay for it, was to sleep with the drug dealer. So I'm the drug dealer's son. It says, my mom has always had a drug habit. By age 10, again, she could no longer afford it. She used to sell herself, but she had been so eaten up by drugs, missing teeth, no one would buy her. So at the age of 10, there was a moment when my mom turned around and said, what about him? Would you buy him? And at the age of 10, it was the first time that he was sold at a truck stop. I'm now 17 years old, and I don't remember a weekend in the last seven and a half years of my life that I haven't been sold at a truck stop. It says, it's, it's always been my life. I thought, that's how you care about your mom. If you love your mom, you'll do it. You see all the manipulation, all the coercion that happened in his life. He had been trafficked for seven and a half years of his life, and that day, he was our one. He was the starfish. He was the one that we were meant to find and go after. And it breaks our heart that we aren't in schools this year because of COVID. But that's a whole other issue. And as we look at this, this story is, as he is rescued on a gym or in a school hallway that day, he goes on with the story and he says, you see that brand new picked up in the parking lot? And he points out, and it's a brand new F-350 red extended cab 2019. Okay, so not my kind of vehicle that I could ever buy, right? A brand new pickup, I have no idea how much those things run, and he points out to me, he says, you see that vehicle? He says, my grandparents bought that for me this year, but promised to never tell anyone my story. So not only the trauma and the abuse and being sold by a mother, but then to be sworn to secrecy by a family, that day he chose different. That day, for once in his life, he finally came forward, and we caught up with him a couple months ago as we called him and asked how he was doing. He's in a group home, a shelter getting help, a Christian shelter where he's found God, and he's been able to do all that. But he's at the end of the call, he's like, I have something to tell you guys. He says, I found out last week I'm HIV positive from the life that I was forced to live. Talk about a kid at 10 years old should be playing baseball or basketball or Xbox or whatever a 10-year-old kid wants to do. But every night, every weekend at the truck stops down the street to be sold to anyone that will buy. As I tell that story, I have four different ways that I need your help. Number one is this, and it's one of the most important. We need prayer. We need people. I have a whole stack of prayer cards and 4,000 more at home, so take as many as you want. I have prayer cards, and I want every person in Victory Church, and if you're watching online, come this week and get one, whatever you got to do. But I want every person in Victory Christian Church to have that prayer card in their Bible, on their fridge, on the bathroom mirror, wherever you do your praying most regularly, if you have a prayer closet, whatever you got. To say, I will daily get on my knees and pray for your ministry so we can go and find kids. Why? Because we are literally in the darkest places of the world. It's, it's an area where the devil has had free reign for far too long as kids are being sold and abused. We need people praying for us. Spiritual safety, physical safety, emotional, the whole thing. We need people to say, I'm not just going to pray for you at lunch today, but I will make it my duty to pray for you daily or weekly or whatever you got to do. We need those people. Maybe that's your key. Maybe you're the Aunt Ethel in this church that you are a prayer warrior. And we need those people. The second thing is this. I said there was four, but there's actually three. Sorry. I lied to you. The second thing is this. 
With a ministry like this, we obviously need financial support. And I know it's obvious as a missionary comes and speaks, it's a part of it. But I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe your key is that you're called to sacrifice on behalf. To say, I'm not going to go to lunch today and forget about this issue and live my life, but I'm going to maybe sacrifice a little bit and I could do 25 or whatever you can do, 50, whatever you can do a month. To say, that's my key to fighting this issue. Because God has allowed me to do that. Maybe you got to sacrifice whatever you got to do, but I, I want to challenge this month. I, I need 10 more monthly supporters that I'm, I'm trying to get to get to our budget. That's something you can do. Talk to me after service. That'd be amazing. But the last thing is this, and I think everyone has a responsibility, technically in all three of them, but this one's really important. I, I, I don't know how we live in a culture that says that this, this thing going on in our communities is okay. The, that we live in a country that, that was founded on Christian pr- principles, but we're at a spot in society that says it's okay that this is happening. That some of us hear rumors of our friends or our, our buddies at work or, or the ones that we hang out with and watch Vikings games that they go and buy a, a, a date for the night if we want to say. Like, like maybe we should stand up to that. Maybe we should call out that person in love and say, hey, do you know what you're doing? The, the second thing is this, and it's less obvious, but um, the things that we're viewing online in, in the most secret parts of our lives that maybe even the spouse next to you doesn't know about or whatever the situation is. I want to challenge you, if you are partaking in that online, I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here to guilt you, but I want to say this. Uh, When I'm fighting trafficking, I'm fighting against people in our own churches that are fueling that content. And I'd rather have a church, all the churches behind us saying, we're going to push you forward instead of saying, I'm going to do this in the secret moments of my life. Why? Because one, the people in in that content are being trafficked. It's a reality. Number two, because that, that content makes money, it produces people that go to a spot where they now can no longer be satisfied by that. Now they begin purchasing children. And I know I just went super deep to the, at the end of this, but I, I, I always like to bring that to the forefront. Because it's an issue in our churches we don't like to talk about often. It's an issue that many of us think no one will ever know about because no one knows what really goes on. But I want to challenge you. If you're at a spot where you're saying, I'm struggling with this. Find Pastor Mike this week. Find somebody that you're super close to in leadership or somebody that can actually pray with you and walk beside you and say, you're not meant to be addicted to this. You're meant to be uh, something above that. You're meant to live life in freedom. So I want to end with that. Your three keys. Prayer, financial, and, and let's, let's change culture. Let's raise our kids that they never think that that's okay. That not only viewing it, but also even that we can buy other human beings. Would we pray today about what our key is meant to be? With that, Pastor Mike. Would you go ahead and put that slide up there, Leah? Um, Many of you already give online, your normal giving. We just want to encourage you that you can give online many different ways specifically and let us know that it's for Caleb. Either put Caleb's name on there or free. The uh, link that you received in an email this week would have taken you directly to it uh, if you use that. But we encourage you, even even now, if you are, are, have your phones, I know none of you carry your phones, but <clears throat> you can text. Uh, the information is there. Just designate. On our, on our website, um, just go to the giving page. It walks you through real easily, very quickly, and just make sure that we know it's for Caleb or free, whichever you want, okay? Um, there's 
And I want to thank you, first of all, for not being near as explicit as you could be. And we probably need to hear it that way sometime, but today is not the place or time. But it's as horrifying as what you heard is, you know, it's way worse, right? And uh, Caleb mentioned how it's local. Um, it's local. We hear about it. I do want to just give any of our masseuses or those that go to a masseuse, there are above-board masseuses out there, okay? They're not all uh, like this. But if they're open at 10 o'clock at night, you might want to not go there, right? So just to encourage you, I want to just pray. If you could, and I'm not sure that I even said Brittany's name when I introduced her, but Brittany and Caleb, would you guys just stand up here? And if I could have a couple of our elders that are here, if you're here, come on up. We just want to pray for these two. Um, Bob, Brian, Alan, I see a few, Glenn. You know, they, they go into the, it's not, every, everybody's is not as sanitary as a gymnasium full of kids. They go into a lot of dark places, as you heard. So let's just lay hands on these two and, and pray for them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just, our hearts break when we hear stories like this. And just kill share with us, it's an unseen thing for so many of us. Some of us don't even hear about it, Lord. I pray, Father, for uh, Caleb and that team, the free team that goes into these places. We pray for your protection, God. We see those pictures of people that are lost in every city they go to and the different agencies they partner with, Father, as they find these kids and these young adults. Father, we pray for their protection. We pray for uh, unbelievable wisdom. God, we pray for each one of these kids that they might be found. Father, we do pray for the needs that uh, Caleb and Brittany have as a young couple starting out in life. Father, that we can be a part of supporting them and their family as they continue to minister through this ministry. Father, we pray for your provision in every way. Father, that the, the, the prayer covering would be there, that the finances would be there. And, Father, in the different ways, even as Caleb described the keys, we would be able to be observant, be aware, be watchful, and speak, Father. Just thank you, Father, for them. Thank you for the privilege we have of being part of their ministry through our support. And we just pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, guys. Bless you. You can go ahead and put that slide up there again in case somebody wants to do it after I dismiss, okay? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for what you allowed us to hear today. Father, we thank you that you have connected us with uh, Caleb and this ministry. And Father, we pray that it would bear fruit, Father, much fruit. And we thank you for those who respond to your call to, to make this a vocation, God, that they commit themselves and their family, their lives to this. We do pray for their provision. Father, we pray that as we go, uh, Father, we go remembering, thinking about these things, praying about these things, Father, that uh, lives can be saved, innocent lives can be rescued. So, Father, we pray as we go, your protection over us, that you would watch over us, Father, that we would go with the love of Jesus, spreading that love to the world around us that needs it so badly. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus and for your glory, God. Amen.